Okay, you ready? You can hear me okay? Great, we're on? Perfect. Awesome. Let's go. I'm Peter Little, lead pastor at Christ Pacific Church in Huntington Beach, California. We're cultivating a community of faith, hope, and love that follows Jesus into the world. And you're listening to our Sunday Sermons podcast. To learn more about us or to subscribe to this podcast, visit us at cpchb.org. Thanks for listening. Alrighty. My name is Tanner, for those who don't know me. I am the student life minister here at Christ Pacific Church. Uh, and I am just thrilled to get to share the good news with you this morning. And uh, <clears throat> at the beginning of this year, I, I had some goals, some personal goals, some, some goals for our ministry. Uh, one of my biggest ones, I uh, was just praying to the Lord. I said, Lord, never make this job feel like a job. <laughs> never let this job feel like a burden. Uh, I want to feel solely that it is a privilege to get to announce the good news to the kids in our community and to your children and to your grandchildren. Um, so that was my prayer coming in this year. And God did that for me. He's made this switch in my heart where uh, I'm just finding so much joy in getting to introduce kids to Jesus, proclaim how good Jesus is, uh, and building these re- relationships. So I just want to thank you guys for trusting me with your kiddos and your grandkiddos because um, truly it, it's been just such a privilege um, to see where God's taking this community and, and this culture. So uh, I'm super grateful and I'm really uh, stoked to be teaching here this morning. Uh, would you pray with me? Uh, Father, we praise you for this beautiful day, wind and all. Uh, we're, we're honored that we get to gather and uh, celebrate all that you've done, all that you're going to do uh, in our lives, Father. And so we ask that you open our ears, you open our hearts, you open our minds to what you have prepared for us this morning, Father. And uh, we celebrate, we we celebrate you, we love you, and we worship you. And we said, amen. Amen. One of the, the perks of COVID for me this last year and a half or so uh, is actually the disguise that comes with the mask uh, when you're cruising around town. If you're like me and you grew up in Huntington Beach, uh, you've been a part of the community for a long time, it, it almost has like a small town feel sometimes, uh, specifically when you're at our local Target just straight down here at Adams. Uh, you're guaranteed to run into like three or four people you know from high school or for the com- community, and that's great. I love seeing everybody, but sometimes you want to get in and you want to get out. And so I really enjoy wearing a mask. I wear the hat too, and I'm so incognito. I'm in and out of Target faster than I've ever been in my entire life, thanks to COVID. So that's one blessing uh, for COVID, but it's truthfully, it's a little embarrassing when you don't recognize someone. Um, And when I was in college, I was going to Grand Canyon University, and I was working uh, in the guest services team. I was managing the guest services team at the, the sporting arena, where we held big concerts and and basketball games, volleyball games, the works. Uh, it's pretty big. It seats about like 7,000 guests. And so it can be a little stressful when it's packed in there. And we have these areas called the portals. And the portals uh, are this walkway that take you from the main entrance down to the floor seating. And one year, I'm working the portals. Uh, we're, we're hosting a concert, uh, and it's sold out. It's jam-packed. And so I'm working the portals, and the portal just becomes a hub where everybody wants to hang out, because from the portal, you can see uh, the floor seat, you can see the concert, you can see the stage. And so everybody tries to hang out in the portal, which is a nightmare for me. 
And a uh, security guard comes up to me and says, hey, so a couple of the guys of the band that's performing, they want to come through the portal to get to the stage. So we got to clear all this out. And I'm just like, oh, gosh. <laughs> Look, looking around, it's jam-packed. And so uh, it's my job to politely ask everyone, like, hey, please remove yourselves from the portal. And so I'm looking around before I start asking people to move, and I see this huge burly guy. I'm like, that guy looks super familiar. <laughs> I can't put my finger on it, but I know this person. Um, and so I'm like, kind of make a general announcement. I'm like, hey, everybody, uh, the band's going to be coming down this portal. We're going to ask you guys to leave the area. Thank you so much, being just my sweet and delightful self, of course. And so they're slowly trickling out. Uh, but this one guy is he's not leaving. He's not budging. And he's got like a little entourage with him. And I'm like, oh, gosh, just please leave. <laughs> don't make me go up to you. And so they don't move. A couple minutes go by. I'm like, okay, I got to go ask this guy to leave. And again, he just looks so familiar. I can't put my finger on it. So I go up and I'm like... I've already asked them a couple times at this point, like, you got to get out. So I'm a little bit rude, and I'm like, hey, the band's coming through here. We need everyone out of the portal now. And, like, the entourage kind of looks at this big guy, and then they look back at me, and eventually this larger guy is like, okay, okay, and just mosey on out. A few seconds later, a security guard comes up to me. He's like, I cannot believe you just did that. I'm like, did what? And he's like, you just kicked out Albert Pujols out of our arena. (laughs) And for those who don't know, Albert Pujols is a three-time... Uh, National League MVP in the MLB, uh, seven-time, nine-time, I think nine-time All-Star uh, for the MLB, and currently plays for the Angels. So that was super embarrassing, <laughs> especially being a, an Angels fan. Like my parents, uh, my brother loved the Angels. So, wow, I'm gonna rebuke the wind right now, you guys. In Jesus' name, man, if you believe, rebuke it with me right now. The wind is gonna stop. Yeah, no more wind, Jesus. We rebuke the wind in your holy name. We're no more wind. And if it doesn't work, someone out there doesn't have enough faith, that's on you, not me. Okay? Well, didn't work. Uh, but it's super embarrassing, right, when you, don't, when you don't recognize someone. And so, yeah, not recognizing Albert Pujols, that's not a huge deal. He's been washed up for years now, ever since he came to the Halos. But uh, imagine not recognizing Jesus, like we see in this story. And so uh, we're going to dive into this narrative that Luke paints uh, and it's such an interesting, interesting and deep story. Somebody didn't have enough faith, you guys. The wind, if anything, is kicking up now. <laughs> uh, but we'll, we'll paint this picture. So uh, this gentleman named Cleopas is, is walking from Jerusalem to his hometown of Emmaus. And it's about a seven-mile walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Uh, and Emmaus is just west of Jerusalem. So there, uh, it says Cleopas and another gentleman are heading home. This is where they're from. They came to Jerusalem for the Passover. And we have to imagine that this walk is just a really sorrowful, miserable, painful walk. Because about two days ago, you know, Jesus was put on the cross. And I like to think that Cleopas was coming to Jerusalem with really, really high hopes. Because when we go to Passover, when they go to Passover, they're celebrating Israel's liberation from Egypt's rule. So they're going, and now there's this guy everyone's talking about, Jesus of Nazareth. And John the Baptist has been hyping everybody up for this guy. This guy's amazing. This guy is the Messiah, the King of the Jews. And so everyone coming to Passover has to imagine, okay, we're celebrating Israel's freedom from Egypt. This is it. This Jesus is the Messiah that we've been prophesying for years, hundreds of years, we are going to be set free from Roman rule, finally. Right? We have really high hopes coming into this Passover ceremony. 
But as we know, Jesus is not so well received when he comes to the city. Well, later on, he is at first, right? But so they have this hope. But before they know it, on Friday, they see Jesus on the cross. And now they're heading back to Emmaus. They're making this long seven-mile march, and like I said, it's probably not a very fun walk. They're talking about all the events they had seen this weekend and this holy week, and it had to be just terribly tragic to see this teacher, this, this rabbi, this prophet who they adored be dragged through the streets, be hung on a cross. Uh, and so they're walking along, and a stranger comes up beside them that they don't recognize. Uh, and Jesus, the stranger to them, asks, what are you discussing together as you walk? Cleopas responds, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? Jesus responds, what things? <laughs> uh, and I kind of understand maybe a part of what he's doing here. Uh, anyone who knows me knows that I, I love creative writing. I, I love storytelling. And so right out of college, I was like, ah, you know, I'm going to challenge myself. I want to try to write a book. Uh, and so sat down, put it on paper. Before I knew it, uh, we published a little book, and uh, I was super excited about it. And this was in October, and then I got hired here on staff that same December. And so the kids didn't know me yet. The kids didn't know what I was passionate about, what I was interested in, so they had no idea that I loved to write. And so what I did is I gave a couple of kids my book, uh, but I didn't tell them who wrote it. <laughs> I said, yeah, go ahead and read this, and like, come back and let me know what you think. And so like a week or so later, a couple of the kids read it right away, came back, and they're telling me all about it. Telling me what they loved, what they didn't like, what they thought was interesting, what they thought was cool. Like, and I got the most interesting and honest feedback I had ever received on this, this book, right? Because like your friends and family, of course, are like, good job, you tried your best, like it was really good. But you want the honest, raw feedback. And so I, I wonder if maybe this is what Jesus is doing. He's, he's like, tell me about what happened, what you think had happened. And so, Cleopas says uh, about Jesus of Nazareth, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. But we had hoped. We had hoped. Cleopas is speaking in the past tense. His hope is no longer there. They're walking towards the west, back towards Emmaus. The sun is setting, and the sun is not only setting on the world, it's setting on their hope. So they march back to Emmaus. They had hoped, but no longer do they hope that Jesus, the Messiah, was the one they thought, the one that would redeem Israel. They've lost their hope. So they've turned their back on Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the city of promise. Okay, the holy land, the, the promised land for the Israelites. Right? They're turning their very backs on God's promises. They're forgetting God's promises. They're turning their back on Jesus and the hope that Jesus had brought. And that's the most beautiful thing about this passage is that although they turned their backs on Jesus, although they lost hope in Jesus, Jesus did not quit on them. 
He pursues them in their sorrowful walk on the road to Emmaus. He doesn't just let them go. He could have easily, who are these guys? We've never heard of these guys before. To us, these people are insignificant. But to Jesus, no one is insignificant. And he's pursuing them and he's chasing them down on the road. Even when we turn our backs on Jesus, he never turns his back on us. He leaves the 99 to pursue even just the one person. Right, these, guys, these guys gave up a little early. Right? They say it's, oh, it's the third day. He was supposed to come back on the third day. Well, it's the morning of the third day. We're going to head back. Like, you didn't even see, give Jesus the full third day, you guys. Why did you already leave? It's like the sports fan at halftime. Like, they're like, oh, my team's down. It's half. I'm going to go home. Wait for the comeback. Have a little faith in your team. So Jesus pursues these guys, and he hunts them down. And so they tell him, you know, we've, we've lost faith. We no longer have our hope that this person was going to redeem Israel. And Jesus responds, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he ex explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Uh, imagine the sermon that they hear on the road. Uh, if you've ever had the privilege of working with Jericho or helping out with the kiddos or even junior high or high school ministry, whenever you ask a question to the crowd or a specific student, if they don't know, they answer the same thing every time. Jesus? And there's something beautiful about that because they kind of understand we're at church. This is what it's all about. Jesus is what it's all about. Everything in this book, everything in our lives, it's about Jesus. And these kids understand that, right? Sometimes we want to have the smart answer or the theological answer, but it's just about Jesus. And so Jesus walks these guys through the Old Testament, starting from Genesis all the way through, and he's going to point out everything that referenced him. And there's a lot of stuff. Imagine the sermon these guys get on the side of this dusty road. These, these two people we would consider insignificant. He's still pursuing. And obviously there's a lot of prophecy in the Old Testament. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read you guys eight prophecies. Uh, there's, there's over 300 about Jesus, but I'm just going to give you eight. Okay, one, Messiah would be born a virgin, Isaiah 7, 14. The Messiah would be called a Nazarene, Isaiah 11, 1, 11, 1. Messiah would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, Zechariah 11, 12. Messiah would be crucified with criminals, Isaiah 53, 12. Messiah would be given vinegar to drink, Psalm 69, 21. Messiah's hands and feet would be pierced, Psalm 22, 16. Soldiers would pierce Messiah's side, Zechariah 12, 10. Messiah would be buried in a rich man's tomb, Isaiah 53, 9. So that's just eight of the prophecies we've seen. And again, there's like about over 300. And so what's the probability of a single person being able to fulfill just eight prophecies, just eight of the prophecies we see in the Old Testament? Uh, well, Professor... Peter Stoner, who's a mathematics professor at Westmont University in Santa Barbara, he wrote this book called Science Speaks. Uh, and he uses mathematical equations and things uh, far beyond my uh, mental 
capacity uh, to explain and break down like what are the odds of a single person fulfilling just eight of the prophecies we see in the Old Testament. And the number is one in 10 to the 17th power. There's a lot of zeros. Absolutely. And if you're like me, you can't even fathom that number. <laughs> that doesn't make a lot of sense. So he breaks it down in a visual, what one in 10 to the 17th power looks like. And so imagine you have the state of Texas, the entire state of Texas, massive state, right? Uh, and you take silver dollar coins and you stack these silver dollar coins two feet high, covering all of Texas. Okay, top to bottom, every inch of Texas is covered with silver dollar coins stacked two feet high. You mark just a single coin, you cast it into this giant pile, you mix them all up, you blindfold someone, you throw them out there and say, find the one coin I marked in all, all of Texas. That's the same probability that one person could fulfill just eight of these prophecies. Jesus fulfilled over 300 That's fascinating. And so Jesus is going to take these guys through all these prophecies, all these moments that mention him. Uh, And I have to imagine, you know, he starts with Genesis. He says, and remember in Genesis, when the serpent comes and it says, the serpent will strike at the heel of man, but the son of God is going to crush the heel of that snake and have victory over sin and death. That's me. That's referring to me. Okay, something I discovered recently is in Genesis 22, the first time that we see love, the word love in the Bible, is when God commands Abraham and he says, go and take your one and only son, whom you love, and sacrifice him. That's the first time we see the word love used in the Bible, is in reference to a father sacrificing his one and only son, who he loves. Imagine hearing this from Jesus himself on the side of the robe. Maybe Jesus references Exodus, the blood of the lamb. The blood of the lamb placed on the doorway. It's going to pass God's wrath over God's chosen people. Okay, or when Peter talked about, I think on Good Friday, right, the the serpent lifted up on Moses' staff. Anyone that looks at this serpent, the uh, the venom in their blood would not kill them. Jesus is like, that's me. Anyone that looks at the sun raised up on the cross the venom inside their blood, sin, cannot take their life. They'll have everlasting life, right? It's, it's all been about Jesus. Everything has been about Jesus. What, what a gift these two random people <laughs> get to encounter hearing this message. Uh, verse 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, so they're still cruising on to Emmaus. Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So Jesus went in to stay with them. The most precious and most perilous gift that God has given us is the gift of free will, the gift of choice. Because despite everything that Jesus has already done for us, he still won't force himself upon our heart. It's, it's still our choice to invite him in. And Cleopas here had the option. He could let Jesus continue to pass on despite all that he's done for him. Or he could invite him into his house, invite him into his life. 
And he makes the right decision, obviously, right? He invites him in. And so Jesus comes in, and all of a sudden, he breaks bread, and they recognize him. It's, it's really challenging sometimes to see God working in our lives, stepping into our lives, when we're in the heat of it. Right? When, when we lose someone, like usually the first question we hear a lot of times, especially with non-believers, is where's God in this? When the pandemic hit, where's God in this? When someone loses their job, where's God in this? It's really hard to see God in the trials. And it's sometimes we're not great at recognizing God working in our lives when things are going well either. Until we stay, take a step back and we look back. And so suddenly these guys recognize it's Jesus sitting with them at their table and he vanishes. Uh, and I love their response and what they say. Were not our hearts burning within us while we talked? Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scripture to us? Were not our hearts burning within us? They had an encounter with Jesus and it set their hearts ablaze. When you encounter Jesus, is your heart set ablaze? Or have we grown dull to the power and the sovereignty of the gospel? That's my prayer for, for everyone here and for myself, is that when we encounter Jesus, when we're here worshiping, that our hearts would be set ablaze. That we'd be consumed with this joy, that we'd be consumed with this fire, because the next thing these guys do is they sprint back to Jerusalem. They take the seven-mile road. They just walked all the way home, and they can't help it because their hearts are so on fire that they have to go and celebrate that Jesus has returned, that Jesus conquered death, that Jesus conquered sin for everyone sitting here under this tent, for everyone sitting at home. Their hearts were set ablaze. Would you guys pray that prayer with me right now? Father, we ask that when we encounter you, when we hear your good news, that your power, your love would not fall upon deaf ears, that it would not fall upon hardened hearts, Father. But that you would set our hearts ablaze so viciously that we have to run out and tell other people about your goodness, about your presence, about your voice, about your scripture, Father. So Lord, as we worship you right now, Father, I ask that you set someone's heart ablaze today, Father. Amen. Thanks for joining our Christ Pacific Sunday Sermon Podcast. To hear more of our sermons, or to subscribe, or to learn how you can be engaged with what we're up to in Huntington Beach, please visit us at cpc.com.